0: have a message uh, for us this evening, Uh, something that the Lord actually put uh, into my heart probably about the end of November. And really, one way I could describe it, it's probably it came then in sort of seed form. And since then, it has sort of germinated and grown and expanded and is still expanding, actually. So if I probably had another month, there'd be another few pages added to this. So, uh, but just by way of starting off, obviously, we know even from the announcement this morning, that the theme of the message is is about love your neighbor. So if you could turn with me to Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 28. Mark's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 28 to start off. And this is what Mark writes He says, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, you don't have to turn to it, but in Matthew's account of that particular uh, part of Scripture, the Lord adds in these words, and Matthew records these words, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if it wasn't already weighty enough, for those who are listening to the Lord, he adds further weight to what he has just said by saying, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. I don't know if you're aware of how many laws there are in the Old Testament. It's believed there's 613. And you think of all the prophetic writings that have went throughout history. And he is saying, on these two, hang all the law and the prophets. You see, as the Lord Jesus was nearing the cross, his opponents were now beginning to ramp up their questioning and their testing of him. They had just spoken to him about paying taxes to Caesar and marriage at the resurrection, all with the design to try and catch him out. But here in the question of the greatest commandment, Jesus answers the scribes and all the people in a way that was entirely familiar to them. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy chapter six and the book of Leviticus chapter 19 the opening words hear o israel were part of everyday life for the jewish people in fact it was part of their prayer life both morning and evening the words are known as are known to the jews as shema this was the meaning to listen in jewish culture they held this thing every morning and in the evening where they spoke to the lord And they said, Shema Israel Adonai, hear, O Israel, the Lord. And the Lord Jesus is now speaking this word back to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. The first word from the Lord Jesus in answer to the question was to listen. He's calling the people to listen and then to do. If you remember in the early days of ministry of the Lord, as he came up out of the waters of baptism, It says the heavens were parted and the father spoke and he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. There's the first listen. Listen to my son. But what did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. There's the doing part. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus in his own ministry joined those two things together quite often. And some of these words will be very familiar to all of us. He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will tell you what he is like. You've got the same idea. Listen and do. Listen and do. And in this particular question that he's asked, listen and do, but do what? And he opens with a word, which is very familiar to lots of us in church circles. He opens with the word of love. And it's the, from the verb, it's the word at agape love. He says, love, you shall love the Lord, your God, you shall love your neighbor. And we all know what that word is. We've heard it many times. We've heard it said so many times. You shall love. It's the highest form of love that there is. It's ascribed for God's love to us. But he's saying, you shall love the Lord, your God. You shall love your neighbor. But in this message, I just want us to really focus in. And I really felt the Holy Spirit was saying to focus in on the love your neighbor part of that statement. And what's very interesting is that Jesus wasn't asked that question. He was asked, what is the first commandment? And he told them, this is the first commandment, but then he added another one as well. That tells me that there is something in this that's close to the heart of the Lord, that there is something between these two commandments that's so closely joined, you can't even fit a piece of paper between the two because the Lord Jesus himself introduced the second part all of his own bat. He wasn't asked to do it. No one told him to do it. He just said, the second like it is this, love your neighbor as yourself. But note what Jesus did not say. The love directed towards God must be, and I want you to listen to this very carefully, it must be with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if you show that love towards other people, that is classed as idolatry. That particular love is reserved for God and for God alone. He alone must be worshipped with heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we ascribe that to something else, we are worshipping the creature rather than the creator. And those sort of things are evident even in our own uh, life today. You can see it very familiar in lots of stuff, whether that be in music industry, whether you see it in sport or entertainment, you'll even see it in political life. People erect statues to men and women all over the world. They refer to them as stars. You hear all the language. They're a sports star. They're a pop star. We ascribe these great titles to people. We call them giants in their field. And we set them high up on pedestals and on platforms. And even to the point in some locations in the world, they are worshipped. They are worshipped. People worship other people. And it's been a long-standing thing. But God says, no, that sort of love is reserved for me. Scripture says that no man should glory in man, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. But the love that is directed towards our neighbor must be as yourself. No one in their right mind ever hated their own flesh. If to God we must let the love be above ourselves, but to other people, it must be as yourself. That's what God's calling us to. He's asking us to love God and to love our neighbor. But the love for God must sit above all these things. But the love for our neighbor must be as ourselves. And I love to think of the word love in the sense of what does it actually mean? Because it's a word that's thrown about quite a bit for a lot of different ways. And look. We all know that there's lots of different um, aspects of love, especially in family and so on. There's different aspects of love. But to love ultimately really means to esteem. Or I like to use the word value. To value, to wish well, to take pleasure in. And we can look at that whether that's God's love coming down to us. God values each one of us. God wishes each one of us well. God takes pleasure in each one of us but our love then must be reciprocated back to him. We must value the Lord then. We must bless him, we must take pleasure in him. But we must also have a same value towards other people. We must look upon them as being of value and being of worth. We must sometimes even, it says in scripture, that we are to esteem one another better than ourselves. That's like value each other better than ourselves. And that's what scripture directs us into. Value each other, value one another. As I thought about this, there was a very simple picture came into my head and it's just a very simple view of the cross, of there's a vertical beam in the cross and that's God's love coming down to us and our love coming back to him. But there is that horizontal beam that sits on the cross and that is the joining between man and man. That's the joining between those two. Love your neighbor has two arms that stretch out to each side. On one side, it says, we are to love one another, which is a very familiar phrase that we all are aware of. But the other side says, love your enemies. Now, that's not just as familiar and perhaps not just preached upon as much. Love one another is a way over here. And as far as you can go to that side, it says, love your enemies. And both are of equal weight. The love over there is not stronger than the love over at that side. The beam doesn't get thinner at that side and it's thicker at that side. God says the love for one another and the love for your enemies must be equal and it must be the same. Unfortunately, we're now living in an age and in a time when people are fascinated with themselves. It's what I would term the selfie obsessed generation. People are obsessed with their own lives. They catalog every detail of their lives online these days. They take selfies of themselves every two minutes. But that's a form of self-love. That's a form of inward uh, directed love. That's not the love that God is asking of us. The love that God has for us projects outwardly. Therefore, our love then must also project outwardly. It cannot be an inward love. It cannot be a self-obsessed love. There is a phrase in scripture that talks about it, that towards the end of the age, men will become lovers of themselves. That's today. That's not in the future. You're not reading and thinking that's, that's a long time. That is today. People are lovers of themselves. They are obsessed with their own lives. They're obsessed with every detail, what they had for breakfast, what shop they're in, what holiday they're going on it has become to the point they are completely obsessed. And when you're so turned inward, it's very difficult then to project any sense of love outward when you're so focused on yourself. And as I was reading and thinking about about this, I was thinking, what does this love actually look like? And of course, there is that passage from the first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. It's one of those passages that's quoted at weddings and so on where it talks about love quite a bit. And I thought to myself, you know, I'll just copy and paste that into this message. I'll just take those few verses and paste them straight in, and then I'll move on to the next thing. But for some reason, I started to type it out instead, and then it just took on a different form. And I'm just gonna read you what I wrote down when I started to type it out. It is borrowed from scripture, of course, It's the Murphy paraphrase, if you want to look at it that way. But it is taken from scripture. But as I was typing it out, it came out in a very different way. And it just was like this, that this love that God is asking of us, it's seen in kindness and it's seen in patience. But you will not find it in jealousy. You will not find this love in boasting or in pride. You will not find this love in rudeness. This sort of love does not keep a secret mental note of every time it's wronged. It most certainly will not rejoice in injustice, but it rejoices when the truth is held up. This love that God is asking of us endures. This love never gives up. And in fact, our faith that we have as Christians is powered by this love. But I wanna look a bit more closely at the neighbor part of the statement that the Lord made. It was also in the ministry of the Lord that he was actually asked the question by one lawyer, and who is my neighbor? It's interesting to uh, think that the Lord is getting asked all these questions and he's having to keep batting them away and so in some respect, but he's asked a very crucial question because he has brought it out. And who is my neighbor? He has asked. So how does Jesus see the neighbor question? How does he see it? He has put it out there, you're to love your neighbor as yourself and someone puts it back to him, well then, who is my neighbor? Now, I don't know whether to view a question like that as a childish question or a childlike question. It's a bit like when Peter said to the Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Is that a childish question or a childlike question? Because it infers from that question that the person does not view everyone as his neighbor. That's the inference I would take from that question. If someone's prepared to say, well, who is my neighbor? that tells me that that person does not view everyone as their neighbor. So how does Jesus see it? Well, turn with me to uh, Luke's gospel. We'll read uh, from chapter 10 and verse 30. So Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verse 30. And then Jesus asked this question, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? The lawyer answers back, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. It's inferred in the story that the traveling man is a Jew going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what we see in this story is that this man who falls into unfortunate circumstances, stripped of his clothing, wounded, leaving half dead by the side of the road. These two people pass by on the other side, and it shows that this man who is in desperate need is rejected by the religious elite, and he's rejected by his fellow countrymen. It's only the despised Samaritan who is actually willing to help. Now, just so you have a bit of context here, in the Gospel of John, it says that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Although the both of the groups lived in the same land, the Samaritans were not pure in the eyes of the Jews and the Jews did not worship where the Samaritans worshipped. They were a divided people. It's a bit like here. There was a division in the land between the people but I want you to note the acts of the person who Jesus views and describes as the one who loves his neighbor. I want you to watch what the man does. The first thing that he does, he says that he went out of his way. You see, as that Samaritan journeyed along the road and came to where this man was, it says he went to him. He went to him. He went out of his way. I would imagine if that Samaritan had him in journey along the road and did what the Levite did, came and looked on him and moved on, probably the worst that would have happened there was if the man who was by the side of the road, half dead, had caught a glimpse of him of the side of his eye, he might have thought, typical Samaritan. But that probably would have been about the height of it. Nobody probably would have thought anything different. The Samaritan passed by, left the man at the side of the road. Big deal. But here the Samaritan does something very different. He actually goes out of his way to this man. And unlike the Levite, when he goes and looks, the second thing he does is he has compassion on this man at the side of the road. He could have looked and moved on, but he didn't. He had compassion. There is a verse of scripture that says that those who know to do good and do not do it, to them it is sin. But this man, who was a Samaritan, had this written on his conscience and on his heart. He knew that if he walked away and left that man at the side of the road who could have died, that would be on his conscience and he would be thinking about that. So he had compassion on the man. And the third thing that he did was he used his resources. He bandaged up his wounds. He used up his oil, his wine. He set the man on his animal and he took him to an inn. And the fourth thing that he did for this Jewish man who was wounded was he made provision for him. He paid for his stay. He stayed with him that night. And the next day he told the innkeeper that whatever other expenses there are, I will pay them. Now that is some act of charity, whatever. He didn't know what the other expenses would be, but whatever they are gonna be, I'll pay them. When I come back this way, I will pay them, take care of him, he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will come again and repay you. That's the four things that that Samaritan does for that man wounded at the side of the road. But I want us also to note the hardness of the heart of the man who initially asked the question and responded to the question that Jesus asked in return. When Jesus said, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? What did the man say? He said, he who showed mercy on him. Now you might read that and think that's a good answer. He answered Jesus well. In actual fact, he didn't. He, all he done was expose the hardness of his own heart. When he spoke those words back to Jesus, he couldn't even bring himself to say, Lord, it was the Samaritan. He couldn't even utter the name Samaritan. He couldn't even say it. All he could say was, he showed mercy. And Jesus is as quick back to him and says, go and do likewise. You've exposed your heart to me. You've shown to me the prejudice that you have against these people. If the Samaritan who you despise has done this great act of mercy to a Jew, you go and do the same to your neighbor, the Samaritan." That's how he answered the Lord. Unable even to say the name of the person who showed the act of mercy. How hard must the heart have been not to be able to utter the name of the man who showed the mercy? But if you look at this passage and you look at what Jesus has said when he has asked the question, which is the first commandment? What is Jesus really dealing with here? What's he really dealing with in all of these instances? In the society around Jesus, there was a spirit of partiality at work. The Jewish people who were to act as God's people on earth, who carried the words of God, behaved with prejudice towards their neighbors. And they were their nearest neighbors. And the prejudice that they held towards their neighbors distorted their perception of their neighbors. How they perceived the people was completely distorted. Jesus could have easily told that story and said, a Samaritan was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves, but it was a Jewish priest that came and saved the day. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't for the very reason because he knew what was going on inside society. He knew that there was a prejudice among the people against others. The Jews who were tasked with showing the love of God and showing the love to their neighbor did the complete opposite. The opposite of what they were commanded to do, they did. And Jesus is trying to address this very thing in both the answer to the question that he's asked and in the story that he tells when he's asked the question, and who is my neighbor? I want us to turn to the book of James. This is the last portion of scripture I want us to read this evening. It's the book of James it's chapter 2, and it's uh, reading the first one. So the book of James, chapter 2, we're reading the first one. And this is what James says. He said, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, In fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you jump down to verse 8, he goes on to say, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. These words written by James are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they are directed towards believers. He starts off with the words, my brethren. It seems that James is very keen to address an issue inside the churches because he must have heard or even he might have seen that the church far from loving their neighbor were displaying a spirit of partiality. Now I want to just speak for a minute about what happens outside church. Prejudice exists everywhere and in all parts of the world. And I'll define that a bit further for you. This is where people hold unfavorable opinions or feelings towards others. Feelings and opinions that they have formed long beforehand. They have not met these people, they have not spoken to these people, they don't know them, but they have an unfavorable opinion and it's often based on things like the color of their skin. It's also based on things like their social standing, exactly what James is trying to address. It can be based on things like their political affiliation, and it can be based on things like the religious group they belong to, exactly what the Lord Jesus was speaking about when he spoke about the good Samaritan. And in any society, this partiality or prejudice can be heard in things like the songs of the day, poetry, media, humor, all that sort of stuff often gives vent to things like prejudice. You've all heard the phrase, about people being the butt of jokes. That's a manifestation of how people are viewed in society. Because sometimes a view is held of people or a group of people, and it's a distorted view. And because there is no love for the neighbor, then the value placed on those peoples diminishes. Now you all know this, and it's well documented historically. There are cases in history when people have placed so little value upon their neighbor that some of the worst atrocities in human history have been committed because they have valued their neighbor so little to such a little degree. They have even at the point, the words are in my head, dehumanized their neighbor. The worst atrocities in history have been committed. I want to tell you that the value of the lives of all people is the same in the sight of God. He does not place one over another. Perhaps the most well-known verse in scripture is spoken by the Lord Jesus himself. He says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved the Jews and a few other people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the value God places on all of his creation and on all of his creatures. Now let's look at what goes on inside the church because this is what James is trying to address. The spirit that was outside the church is also manifesting inside the church. And James has to set about trying to deal with that just as the Lord Jesus was doing on his day. And this prejudice that James is speaking about is perhaps not so much heard in the music, but it might be heard in the conversations. It might be heard in the preaching. It might even be heard in a prayer meeting. Because it often comes out in those times who is viewed of a higher standing and value and who is viewed of a lower standing and value. I will tell you today that in Northern Ireland, it has labored under this disease for many decades for a very long time. There has been a message inside churches, and I'm talking about evangelical churches or those who would call themselves evangelical churches, a message of fear your neighbor, a message of be suspicious of your neighbor, but not too many messages of love your neighbor. I don't recall hearing too many in 22 years of being in different churches. By God's hand, I have been in different churches all around this province. Some I was invited to, to take part in things. Others I just happened to be there by the Lord's grace, bring me there for an evening or to go and see something or to hear something. And it has been from the pulpit that I have heard one person or group of people being talked up and another person or group of people being put down. In the prayer meeting, I have heard one person or group of people being prayed for and another person or group of people not being prayed for. In the absolute worst cases that I have seen and witnessed myself, they were even prayed against. Favouring some over others. Favouring some over others, the church in this land has committed sin against God. Now, think about what Jesus said at the very beginning there, when he was asked, what is the first commandment? He decided to also add in the second, like it is this. I said at the beginning, it obviously must be some very close connection between those two things. It must be something very close to the heart of Jesus that he would actually bring that out in addition to the question that he was asked, that he would say that. That there is something very close between those two that you can't even fit a piece of paper between them, that Jesus brings it out, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this question, it's a rhetorical question. Why is it in Northern Ireland? And I'll be very careful what I'll say here. If you go to most, and I'll not say all because it would be unfair of me to say it's in all places. But if you go to most churches, You will hear prayers for one political party, but not another. Is that not a demonstration of partiality? I would defy anyone to explain to me how that is not a demonstration of partiality. How can we say to God, we love our neighbor when we only pray for one group of people? That is impossible. It is impossible before God to say, we love our neighbor, but we're only going to pray for these people impossible. It is completely wrong. And because the church has done this for so long, 22 years, I have been a Christian and 22 years I have been in many churches. And because it has been going on for so long, it was going on before even I was a Christian. And because of that, there is a dearth in the church. People lament the fact we're not seeing people saved. We're not seeing people healed. We're not seeing miracles and signs and wonders. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That is what is wrong inside our churches today. We have abandoned the command from the Lord who said on these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets. On both of those commands, hang all the law and the prophets and we take one of them, we'll love you, Lord, but that one, we'll put it down here somewhere. We'll love people as we perceive it to be. We'll love people as we perceive it to be, not as you're telling us to do. And because of that, you will look throughout the history of Israel. When God's people departed from his word, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. God withdrew certain things from his people because they departed from his word. Two commandments, that is the law of Christ, to love the Lord your God, and to love your neighbor. And if we omit to do either one of those things, On both of those things, hang on, all the law and the prophets. What do you think God is gonna do? Is he gonna applaud us and go, look at them. They have a great program down there. I don't think so. What do you think God is gonna do when we abandon his uh, command to love one another? You think God is gonna bless? I don't think so. All the way throughout scripture, every single time God's people departed from his ways, God withdrew certain things from his people every single occasion, to the very point it got to the stage there was a famine in the land of actually hearing the word of the Lord. That's how bad it had got in the house of Israel. And even in the day the Lord Jesus is walking on the earth, he has seen the exact same thing played out before his very eyes in the flesh. People going against their neighbor who live in a different town or a different city. Now you might say to me, Uh, But James, he is speaking about people who are actually coming into the church and he's talking about the rich and the poor. I would say to you, if that's how you read that, you miss what James is saying. If that's how you read that passage, you have missed completely what he's doing. The rich and the poor thing is his example that he's using. He may have actually seen that, I don't know. But he's using that as an example, much in the way Jesus is using the example of the good Samaritan, who stops from the man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and is at the side of the road half dead. He's using it as an example. Long before a person ever sets foot inside any church, there are preformed thoughts already in the minds of the people about individuals and groups, that's why James is very careful to write these words. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Because it started in the mind long before it was seen in the action. That's what was wrong inside the church. He could see very clearly there is something wrong inside the church here between how the people of God are meant to be Uh, project the love of God and the reality of that. Now, as I was pulling this message together and coming toward the end, I wanna read just a few verses to you from scripture, and then I'm gonna try and bring it to a close. But I have to be honest, when I got to the end of this message, I still don't know how to close it because there's something about it, it's being left open, and I don't know why. I have struggled in 10 different ways. I've tried to bring this particular message to a close and it will not close. It's like God is saying, leave it open. This has to stay open. This is not being taken off the table. Listen to what Peter says. Now, Peter was a man, you all know what Peter was like. Peter was a Jew through and through. He ran his mouth off at times. He said things that he shouldn't have said, but Peter had to be shown certain things even As a man who was a lead apostle, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was the man that stood on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people were saved. Here he is at a time later, God is still having to speak to him about prejudice that's in his life. He goes to the house of Cornelius and God blesses that house and that family before his own very eyes. Do you know what Peter says? Listen to these words. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no Partiality. That's what Peter learned that day. All them years he's been with Jesus, all them years he stood on the day of Pentecost, preached a fantastic message, thousands of people. You'd be thinking this guy's unbelievable. He's the most holiest man you've ever seen. And he's still having to deal with prejudice in his own heart. Still having to deal with prejudice in his own heart, baptizing the Holy Spirit. Listen to Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. To the church at Galatia, he said, for the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I was driving in the car to work one day and this came to me very strongly and it was Jesus on the cross. And when he hung on the cross, he prayed while he was on that cross. And he didn't pray, Father, look after me and mine. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was praying for his enemies while he was on the cross. Praying for his enemies while he's actually on the cross. Is that not the spirit of Christ? Is that not the spirit that's supposed to be in each one of us who name the name of Christ? Praying for his enemies while he's still on the cross, not afterwards when he's in the glory, praying for them while he's actually on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's why scripture has so many words like, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do good unto all men, not some men, not some you like or some you favor, all men. That's the spirit of Christ. That's the example of love your neighbor. That's what scripture exhorts continually from start to finish. I think this spirit of partiality has been a big, big problem in this land. I would love to see it broken. I would love to see it dealt with. I don't know how that's gonna happen or how it's gonna take place. There's some of the thoughts that came to me from the story of the Good Samaritan that stuck with me, even for us here in this church. Will we go out of our way? Will we go out of our way for our neighbor? Now I'm not talking about some far flung place across the world somewhere where none of us will ever visit or set foot on. I'm talking about here, five miles down the road, 10 miles down the road, 20 miles down the road, will we go out of our way in this house and outside for our neighbor? Will we show compassion on our neighbor? Even if they have a different political view to us, even if they have a different religious view to us, will we show compassion? Will we use our resources? There's a big one. Will we use our resources for others? It's great to send money to Africa, but what about the man that's down the road? What about the man that's down the road that no one has ever knocked his door and said, have you heard about Jesus Christ? Do you know I have heard preachers stand at pulpits under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and preach against other people? I could name them here today, some of them are dead, but I could name them here today. They have preached against other people. You see, if somebody is standing and they have an anointing to preach, that does not, exempt them from the words that they speak. On a day, they will give an account for every single word spoken. Yeah, I won't be standing at the Lord uh, one day before him, and they go, David, on, the, on, the, on and one day in January there, you were, you were speaking in Hope Church, and I'll say, Lord, I was anointed that day. That's me out, I'm free, no, no. Every word spoken will be given an account for. Every single word spoken. People who stand with an anointing to preach, do not get off light. They do not get off light. And we are in a time when I don't think that God is going to accept any longer that we just keep, we'll look after our own and the rest of them, well, whatever happens there, we'll fire a bit of money off to Africa, build some house over there and everything will be dead on. I can't see that happening. The people who I heard preach against other people, I can tell you today, they never went to their door. They never knocked on their door and says, you know what? The Lord changed my life and I want to tell him how he can change your life. But they saw fit to stand at a pulpit and preach against them and speak of them as evil and wicked, but they never went to their door. They never went to their door and took their Bible and said, you know what? I want to tell you something. I was once a wretch. I was once a man who was wicked, but God changed my life. God changed my life and I want to share that love with you. And this has often been the problem in our land. Will we use our resources for others? Will we make provision for them? Will we make room for them? Those that have a different outlook to us, those that have a different opinion to us, those that have a different uh, background to us, will we make room and provision for them? That's why I think the Lord is not letting me close this. That's why I think the Lord is not letting me close this off with an amen and a prayer and away we go. I think the Lord is saying to me, do not close that because this is not a one you just preach and you close it off, job done, we'll all have a cup of tea. I don't think that's what the Lord's saying here. I think he's saying this is staying on the table because this is important to me. This is staying on the table because it's important to me. And I just wanna say to you, you know, this church is a blessed place. It really is. Hope Church is a very blessed place and it has been for many years. And I would love to see it to be an example church to many others, an example of openness, an example where this church will pray for anyone and everyone, a church that will welcome everybody through that door. I want this to be a church like that because you know what? That's the church that God will bless. That's a church that God will bless. If we throw our arms open as he threw his arms open for us, then this church will be blessed. I'm just gonna pray for us now and that'll close this uh, service. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. Lord, we know that these words are weary, Lord, but they are needful. We know, Lord, that these words are even at times hard, sometimes, Lord, to take in. But I pray, Lord, that even over my own heart and all the hearts of the people in this house, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will bring us on a journey, O God, to see, Lord, how you value other people. And what is important to you, Lord, will become important to us. That we will be a people, Lord, who will not only profess and do love you, Lord, and demonstrate that love to you, but that we will be a people, Lord, who will love our neighbor as ourselves. We will not show prejudice. We will not show partiality. Lord, we will come to a place even of repentance and of acknowledgement, Lord, that we have failed in certain areas. We have not been as diligent as we should have been. We have not been as exemplary as we should have been. We have not been as loving as we should have been. But Lord, you are merciful to us. It is because of your mercies, Lord, that we are not consumed. Help us, Lord, to show that love, that mercy, that compassion that we have received to others also, in Jesus' name.